As you guys know, this has been the Elephant in the Bedroom Ask Ellie series. And so we have over, and so we have, we'll, we'll be choosing one of those questions every single week, and we will be addressing and answering that question. So if you guys in the back would roll that question, and we'll get into it. How do you work through trauma in relationships? If you would turn to Ezra, the book of Ezra, chapter 3, verse 10. We don't typically spend too much time in the book of Ezra, but that's where we're going this morning. It says, And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set the priests in their apparel with trumpets and the Levites with the sons of Asaph and some with cymbals, to praise the Lord, an ordinance of David, uh, king of Israel. Uh, and they sang together by course in praising, giving thanks unto the Lord, because he is good, and for his mercy endureth forever towards Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout, and they uh, praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and the chief of the fathers, who were ancient men uh, that had seen the first house, when the foundation of the house was laid before their eyes, wept with the loud voice, and many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the noise was heard from afar off. Look at somebody next to you and tell them, I'm a tree killer. Because if I don't kill it, it'll kill me. The nature of this foundation being laid for the temple was 50 years after Solomon's temple was destroyed. And so here, Solomon's temple, uh, if you have studied any of this, you will know that David raised the money um, to the tune of, of a billion or more. Uh, we don't know the exact number, but it, it was a lot. Uh, and he raised, I believe, 900 million of it on his deathbed to build the temple. And then Solomon is the one who actually built uh, that temple. And so 50 years prior to this moment, that temple was destroyed. And so now they have begun the task of rebuilding the temple. And as they are rebuilding the temple, they're laying the foundation. And the Bible says some of the ancient men... Uh, were weeping and wailing because they knew the former temple and now they're watching the quality of the second temple. And they're heartbroken because of how they've lost the first one and now they're watching what appears to be somewhat inferior in the second one. The rest of them <clears throat> who don't know about the past are cheering and excited and praising God because the temple is being rebuilt. Yes. I am reminded of a story of two young boys that were walking along the train tracks. And 
they are so engrossed in what's their little shenanigans that they don't realize this train is coming and the train is honking its horn it's coming they finally realize it and each one jumps a separate direction out of the path of the train as the train passes they both get up they brush themselves off and they're looking at one another and one is extremely sad because he realizes he almost just lost his life the other one is extremely happy because he realized he's still alive the juxtaposition of the two themes if you will or the two emotions if you will or the two uh, how they handle the situation reflects the difference of their perspective as we talk about the nature of trauma and we deal with some of these things the problem for most is that when we deal with trauma in our lives there are sometimes triggers that we are unaware of and in those triggers uh, there's some type of stimulus or something that happens that begins to cause some of these things to resurface in our lives here it is that an occasion that is celebrated by some is mourned by others all because of what used to be and when we deal with what used to be people tend to rehearse their trauma uh, you tend to deal with it over and over and over and over again uh, you put on your favorite outfit and everybody tells you how nice it is with the exception of one person who looks at you and says nice outfit do you ever think that'll come back in style and now all day you are rehearsing what one person has said when all these other voices have spoken affirmation you get stuck on the things that did not affirm you often we want someone else to validate what you ought to yourself be celebrating because when you look for other people to validate, things get worse. <laughs> people are not where you place your trust. Because the moment you place your trust in people, uh, you will find yourself at a place of disappointment. As we grow, as we develop in life, we tend to always want what we didn't have. It is very similar to the idea that uh, sometimes ladies who have straight hair want curly hair, and ladies who have curly hair always are remarking about how someone who has straight hair. Uh, it, it's whatever it is you don't have that appears to be somewhat elusive to you and more desirable. Uh, if you grew up without a father, then relationships are affected uh, because you seek a father in your relationship and not a partner. Uh, when you seek a father in the relationship, you forego certain things that should be in the relationship because you are dealing with daddy issues. There are things that traumatize us that we really don't remember or let me say it this way, it's never at the forefront of our minds until something like it happens or something that looks similar to it 
occurs. And then all of a sudden, we are dealing with emotion that has never been dealt with properly. And then we think, hey, we thought we were past this. I thought I was over this. I thought uh, this day is gone. And the reality is that it is still there. Hebrews 12:15 says, Looking diligently, lest any man fail the grace of God, lest a root of bitterness springing up trouble you, therefore many, or thereby many, be defiled. If anger is not dealt with, and the emotions associated with things are not handled properly. They develop a root of bitterness. And if you notice how it says, lest any man fail of the grace of God. I've heard people say, I fell from the grace of God, or I fell from grace. And many of you, I'm sure, have heard that terminology. The problem of saying you fell from grace is not accurate because you cannot fall from grace however you can fail from grace and the difference is the appropriation of grace in your life that will allow you to be in position to be the recipient of the grace of God it's a failure not a falling away from the Bible says that God has you in his hands and no one will snatch you from him that he'll never leave you nor forsake you thereby you can never fall but you certainly can fail people their failure is inevitable and I've watched people put a person over the things of God I've watched people leave their church over a potential boyfriend or girlfriend or spouse. I've watched people do some of the craziest things where they put this person uh, before they put God. And, and I'm telling you, every single time, it's, only, it's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when will all proverbial hell break loose because it's always in the failure of people that our greatest and deepest wounds tend to come. We can deal with the disappointments of our own decisions. We can usually not deal with how other people can cut us deeply. And so as we begin to understand how to protect ourselves, we can get very much into an attitude of, I will never let this happen again. And in that mode, there's an overcorrection that occurs. Uh, If you were abused then all of a sudden it's anything that even looks like somebody's going to say something wrong. You're ready to throw down. It's an overcorrection. Uh, You know, you've been in a bad relationship and it's like someone says, well, why don't you go? And you're like, I'm leaving then. Like, to the store. (laughs) Because there's a a wound that has never really been dealt with with. This is why people uh, end up in substandard relationships because they really don't have any interest in dealing with their wounds first before they then involve someone else. So the change that happens in our lives is usually the result of a trauma. The, The unique thing about trauma is trauma is never eternal. It is always 
a moment. It's always a, a, a part in time. One of the natures of PTSD, which I think sometimes people underplay the, the effect or, or the problem of PTSD because it's very real. And PTSD tends to be the result of a prolonged trauma that has now reconditioned you in a different way. And a lot of men choose women because of their trauma and don't know they have just jeopardized their future. A lot of women choose men because of their trauma and they have no idea they have made an eternal decision based off of something that happened in the moment in time. It's, it's, it's like, uh, how do I say it? It's like when you are dealing with something that is temporal, you are dealing with the nature of things that exist right now. And the problem is you, as you respond to trauma, are now dealing with things that you are not always aware of. It's like Pavlov's dog. Uh, if you are familiar with Pavlov's dog, it's they fed the dogs, rang a bell, fed the dogs, rang a bell, fed the dogs, rang a bell. And it got to the point where the dogs became so conditioned that every time they would just ring a bell, the dogs would start to salivate. They became conditioned because of the circumstances. And so as we live our lives, we often don't realize what bells are being rung that causes a response or triggers a response in us because of the trauma that we have been through. Then if you're not careful, you have built walls and you have withheld yourself from relationships because you can't give all of you because there are certain parts of you that are wounded. We can talk about everything else, but don't talk about this, Pastor. We can talk about these things, but don't touch this subject. And now as a wife who's dealing with her husband and the husband maybe has been sexually abused, he can't really give himself to his wife because if she does something that triggers or reminds him of something, he now withdraws and she has no idea why. Men don't like to talk anyway. So it's a difficult place to be because there are many things that cause us to never bring all of ourselves to a situation. Now, what was a moment of trauma, you have now turned into an eternal response. Because you have robbed us of the best of you. You have robbed someone of all of you. And they are paying a price for something that they did not cause. So then trauma becomes such an eternal and everlasting thing that it has to be dealt with. And in every single one of us, we have to begin to understand why we go through the things that we go through. Many people think, for example, when we do marriage counseling, we, we, we do marital guidance not because we are trying to figure out what should be what in your lives. We're trying to make sure two whole people get together. Because one plus one equals one. And that whole you complete me thing is, is for movies. Because if someone completes you, you will become wounded. It's just a matter of time. We have to be whole in ourselves 
to begin to affect or deal with any of our interpersonal relationships and has nothing to do with or it's not relegated only to uh, emotional or, or intimate relationships, but has everything to do with all of our relationships. So then Jesus begins to respond to disciples in Luke 17, verse 1. He begins to respond to his disciples as he is letting them know. He says, it is impossible, but that offenses will come. In other words, Something's going to happen. It's just the way life goes. And when people try to act like everything's perfect and never have, they're lying. And that's the fruit of their womb. And so here he says, it's impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe unto him through whom they come. In other words, it's impossible for you to avoid certain things. But woe unto the person who caused it. Because that's a real issue. Now watch what he goes on to say. It were better for him to have a millstone hung around his neck than cast into the sea than, than he that should offend one of these little ones. Verse 3. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespasses against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day he turns again to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. And the apostles said unto the Lord, increase our faith. I don't recall anywhere else in the Bible where the disciples asked Jesus to increase our faith. They are on a boat about to die. And they didn't say anything about increase our faith. Jesus says if, if something happens to you seven times over and over again in just one day, he says you have to turn and forgive. And their response is, Lord, you got to increase our faith. <laughs> I need some more faith because I'm about ready to smack the taste. <laughs> Lord, increase our faith. Lord, increase our faith. It's hard to deal with people, particularly repeat offenders. It's hard to deal with people that have done you over and over and over and over again and think it's okay. It's hard to deal with people that don't seem to have any level of repentance whatsoever. And Jesus then says, verse 6, And the Lord said, If you had faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you might say unto this sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, be thou planted in the sea, and it shall obey you. First thing he says is, if you had the faith of a mustard seed, in other words, whatever faith little bit you got, if you'd use it, it'll solve this problem. You don't need more faith. What you need to do is use the faith you have. <clears throat> then he says, you might say unto this sycamine tree, notice the word this sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the root, be thou planted in the sea, and it shall do what? Obey you. <clears throat> this sycamine tree is referring to the very thing that they are discussing. Uh, it is contextual. Uh, and I think sometimes people don't realize that verse 6 follows verse 5. And verse 5 follows verse 4. Which means that what is being addressed in verse 6 is what he just addressed in verses 1 through 5. And he's talking about the tree of unforgiveness and the inability to let it 
and he calls it a sycamine tree. Now, <clears throat> the sycamine tree, we are not as agricultural as they were in those times. And when Jesus uses allegories, he gives us something that goes alongside of a, of a natural or a spiritual truth, but he gives it to us in a natural way so that we can understand. But since many of you don't know what a sycamine tree is, you're missing the, the, the most important parts of what he's telling them. And what he's saying to them is the sycamine tree is a fig tree. And that fig tree is very much, if I was to say to you, those here in Arizona, if I was to say to you a bougainvillea, you would get a better understanding of what a sycamine tree is. If you know anything about a bougainvillea, you could plant that puppy anywhere. And it will grow like crazy. You can chop it down to its very root, flush to the ground, and two weeks later, it'll be six feet tall. A sycamine tree is a huge tree that grows like crazy, and it doesn't require much to do so. It's so much so that in the uh, Israel laws, you couldn't plant a sycamine tree within a certain distance from someone's well or someone's cistern because the root structure would go so far that it would break into any source of water it could in order to sustain. It ran so deep in its roots and it weathered through all seasons. It didn't require a lot of water. It didn't require a lot of attention. It could sit what you would thought to be dormant and feed off of absolutely nothing, but yet and still surface in the wrong places at the wrong time. He said, this sycamine tree. Sycamine trees were used for coffins because they were so prevalent and they were so robust that it was easy to make coffins out of those. They were very, very hard to kill. And because of that, if you didn't kill the sycamine tree, the sycamine tree would end up killing you. It would end up being the coffin. See, there's things sometimes that root themselves so deep in us. And we think we could just sweep it under the rug and act like it didn't happen. The problem with sweeping things under the rug, when you come running through the house, you're going to trip on what you thought nobody was paying attention to. And I don't care how much you try to hide it. I don't care how much you try to disappear from it. When you don't confront it and deal with it, it's going to surface in the wrong time, in the midst of the wrong relationship. <laughs> so... <clears throat> The fruit of a sycamine tree was very bitter. So bitter that if you were to eat one of the figs, you had to eat it very slowly. You had to take it very small bites at a time because it was extremely, extremely bitter. 
Now, you could cook it and get a lot of the bitterness out of it. But I want you to understand it still was extremely, extremely bitter. When things affect our lives in such a deep way, it often doesn't make us better. It really just makes us bitter. Maybe you have been affected in such a way by certain things that you struggle with being a parent because of things that happen to you. You now struggle with how you deal with your child. Maybe you lost a child and you have others that now are wondering, what about me? Because they're among the land of the living while you have buried yourself. You have a spouse that anytime they do anything that remotely looks like something that triggers you, they now never get the full you. They never get a pass on what other people would give them a pass on because it wasn't really a big deal. But because it looks something like what you've been traumatized about, World War III has just popped off. Now there's a rockiness in everything that you do because the roots are deep and the resume is long. You know, the resume is all of your experiences. <laughs> this is why God wants you to be a virgin who marries a virgin. Many people think they don't understand why that's so important. Well, God's just trying to keep me from having fun. No, that's not what God's trying to do. He's trying to get you out of the world of comparison. Because in the world of comparison, now it's up to your perspective to determine your happiness. Because now when you're with her, you're thinking about her. Instead of thinking about... <laughs> when he does something that reminds you, you're no longer thinking about someone else because there's nothing to remind you about. This is the way we deal with trauma. And <clears throat> the unique thing about a fig is the flower of the fig is on the inside. If you've ever opened up a fig, you'll see that it's more like it's an inverted flower. Sycamine trees, in order to propagate, in order to pollinate, they have to be pollinated not by just a bee, but by a wasp. The reason being is wasps have stingers that are deep enough to penetrate to the very heart of the fig. So when trauma comes, it hits us so hard, it stings right into the very center of who we are. And now we have no idea that our attitudes have been altered. We have no idea that our emotions have been affected. We have no idea that the very core of us has been forever changed because we've been pierced with trauma. And Satan knows this. And he knows that the only way to get to you is I've got to get to the heart of you. Because I can't get you from the outside. Because if you've learned to walk by faith and not by sight, then everything you see, you're not moved by. But the moment I hit you in the place where you never thought I was coming, David said, I could have handled it if it came from this way. 
could have dealt with it if it came this way. It wouldn't have been such an issue if it had been in my finances. I got faith to believe. It wouldn't have been a big deal if it came at me in the area of my children. I got faith to believe. But what happens when you sting me in a place that I just wasn't ready for? What happens when you sting me again and again and again? <laughs> Roots are deep and the resume is long. We write a resume where we detail all of our experiences why we are qualified. <laughs> the only thing we don't put on our resume is the truth. You ran the cash register, but now you are the director of front operations. The roots are deep, and the resume is long. How do we reach the place of wholeness? How do we reach the place of soundness? when it seems like it's just not something that I want to deal with? Aren't there better things to do with my time? No. No. Because it's creating, although it was a moment in time, it's creating an eternal effect. When people say she's got daddy issues, it's not something they made up. It's very real. It's very real. When she says he's a mama's boy, it's not something that's made up. It's real. When people begin to look for attributes they could not find because they did not have it, they want what they can't have and they don't even realize that was a trauma. There's a void they're trying to fill that they have no idea they're trying to fill. They subconsciously make choices that are detrimental to their own future. And they've allowed what should have been temporal to now become eternal because they're making long-term decisions over short-term issues. And then they wonder why a person can't complete them. And oh, they can do the Facebook thing and the Instagram thing and make it look like We're always so good at living other people's highlight reels. <laughs> you have no idea how many pictures they took before they got that, that one. And then, God forbid, we slap a filter on it. <clears throat> Nobody in here. But some of them people should go to jail for fraud. Sometimes with my wife and I look at it, I go, who's that? I'm like, I'm not friends with this person. I'm like, oh, yeah, I am. <laughs> I was, uh, when I came out of high school, my first job, I was in real estate. And um, I did very well in real estate when I first got out of high school. And then I came back to real estate later. But I was working in the, in the office, and they had what they call uptime. 
And uptime was when you would sit at the front desk and anyone who called in or came in, that was your deal. And so everybody had a schedule. You get four or five hours of uptime, three hours of uptime, and you were the one working at the front desk. So <clears throat> this person comes in and he's looking for this particular realtor and her name was Myra. And he says, I'm, I'm here to meet with Myra. I said, she's down his hallway, the third office, right. So I watched this man walk down there. Now, Myra had to be about 70. All the pictures on her advertising had to be about 30. <clears throat> so he walks in front of her office. He stops. He looks. He turns around. He comes back. He goes, I'm sorry. I must have misspoke. I'm looking for Myra. And I'm thinking to myself. So I said, let me walk you down there. So I walk him down there. And, it's, and I said, she's right there. And he's like. That's how I feel about y'all with them filters. <laughs> the truth of the matter is that some of those people, not in here, some of those people struggle with themselves. In the realities of who they really are, who God made them to be, and it's usually the result of some level of trauma. <laughs> so in the purposes of finding wholeness, because I've, I've, I've dug the ditch deep enough that you're all in it with me. <laughs> so now we're coming out. Because there's a necessity and a need to find wholeness. And the first step of finding wholeness, Isaiah 43, verse 19. Isaiah 43, verse 19, you put up in the NLV. He says, for I'm about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? The first step is to learn to anticipate the new. Anticipate the new with excitement. To know that God has already begun a new thing. Sometimes what we do is we feed so much on our past that we forget to feed the future. We forget to realize that the reason why my windshield is bigger than my rearview mirror is because I'm to spend more time looking forward than I am backwards. And I cannot live off of my past because my past cannot dictate my future. There's a moment where I have to understand that everything I went through has built me to be the person that I am today. I am built God tough. I might have had to go through hellfire and brimstone, but when you look today, I'm ready. I'm ready for the new. Philippians 3.13. He says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. In other words, he says, I, I'm not there. Let me, let me be the first to tell you I'm not there. I just know a few things. Because I've been through a few things. But I ain't there. 
He said, I have not apprehended it yet. He said, but this one thing I know how to do. There is one thing that I am absolutely clear about. I may not have gotten there yet. He said, but I got one tip for you. That if I was to tell you one thing, he said, I have learned to forget those things which are behind and reach forth to those things which are before. I have to learn how to press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The idea that I got to press means there's a resistance that comes. He said, but even in the midst of the resistance, I'm going to press towards the mark of the high calling of God. I'm going to move in the things that God has called me to do. You won't get me to back up. You're not going to get me to leave. You're not going to get me to quit. He said, I got to forget those things which are behind. Now, I want you to understand the Apostle Paul's not saying to forget it in terms of just it's out of your memory. Because you'll never forget everything. But here's what he's saying. I remember I was, I was young. I was probably 10, riding my bike down a hill in my neighborhood. And I was coming around a corner. And, and man, I hit that corner. And I laid that bike down. Skint my knee down to the bone. Never forget it. I still have that scar on my knee. Do you know when I look at it today, I don't feel the pain? I remember the story. I remember the situation. I remember being there. But I don't feel the pain anymore. Because, see, he said, I've learned to forget those things. I can't walk away from it and act like it didn't happen. But what I can do is as I'm pressing towards the mark, I can learn how to forget the emotion, to forget the fear, forget the crying, forget the pain, and move towards the mark where God has called me to be. He said, I press towards the mark. He, when I press, it's hard. He didn't say I stroll. He didn't say I strut. He said I press towards the mark of the high calling of God and everything that tries to hold me back to keep me from where I need to go. I refuse to give in to it and I press towards the mark. Isaiah 43, verse 25. Isaiah 43, verse 25. When you deal with people, people really struggle with the idea of forgiveness. They struggle with the idea of forgiveness because, it's particularly with God, because they know God knows all things, right? So then in the nature of my disobedience, my pet sins, we just know God knows, right? You're like, God knows. He just knows. I know he knows. So don't sit there, preacher man, tell me he don't know, because I know he knows, because he knows all things. But then he says, I, even I. Am he that blotteth out the transgressions. And then he doesn't say for your sake. He says for his own. There's a powerful truth here. He says I blotted out not for you. But I do it for me. <laughs> he says and I will not remember thy sins. He said I didn't do it for you. I did it for me. See because when you come to me. I don't want to look at you any other type of way other than Jesus. 
Because if I look at you for what you are without Christ, your righteousness is filthy rags. You deserve death. You deserve penalty. You deserve sickness and disease. I can't look at you that way. For my own sake, I've got to look at you as you are my son who I gave for your life. I have got for my own sake when I deal with you. I've got to get rid of the things that are behind and press towards the mark for my own abilities. He said, I've got to move on. Yes, you did it, but I'm done with it. You want to put it under the blood? Me too. That way, when I deal with you, I'm not looking at you as a flawed person. I'm looking at you as the image of my son. If that can't get you to get up and run, I don't know what would. Because in all the things that we struggle with, he said, I, I, I forget it for my own purposes. You ready? Step two is canceling the debt. Matthew 18, verse 21. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive them. Till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of Heaven likened unto a certain king who had to take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought to him which owed him 10,000 talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold. And his wife and his children, all that he had in payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what he had done, they were very, very sorry and came and told their Lord all that was happening. Then his Lord, and after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave all the debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I pity had pity on thee? And the Lord was wroth, and delivered him to his tormentors, till he should pay all that was due him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one, his brother, their trespasses. Jesus said, I didn't say to you seven times. He said, I said seven times 70. Which is the equivalent of almost five tons of silver is what was owed. Five tons of silver. Ton is a thousand pounds. Five thousand pounds of silver. Imagine. The magnitude of the things God has forgiven you for. And you have the unmitigated goal. You have the audacity. Well, you don't know what they did to me. Five tons. You don't know what they put me through. Five tons. He said seven times 70. Are you to find it in your heart to cancel the debt? 
Notice notice he likened forgiveness to canceling the debt. See, because when people get offended and off-ended, they owe me an apology. They don't owe you anything. If they never said sorry ever in your life, you have got to get to a place where you're able to walk through this and get on the other side of it. I don't care if you apologize to me. It'd be nice, but if you didn't, so what? I don't forgive you for you. I forgive you for me. Walking in unforgiveness is like me drinking poison and expecting someone else to die. He said it's like just canceling the debt. I don't owe you anything. You don't owe me anything but to love me. And even if you won't love me, so what? Because I got to get free. Because let me tell you something. The most expensive real estate in the world is in here. And you don't have enough money to rent what's in here. (laughs) And so the king had a right to his wife and his children and all of his property. But he forgo all that and said, you know what? Do what you can do when you can. He was stunned that this guy wouldn't take that same level of forgiveness and cancel the debt. Well, you don't know what they did, Pastor. I just, I, I need them to know how bad I hurt. <laughs> so, so now, <clears throat> y'all have separated, and y'all got a child together, and now you use the child to punish, because you want them to feel what you felt. You want them to know you cheated on me, and I want you to feel that, because you won't cancel the debt. You ready? Mark 12, verse 29. Y'all still here? Okay, just just checking in on you. Make sure you're okay. Step three, Mark 12, verse 29. And Jesus answered him, he said, the first of all commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart, with all of thy soul, with all of thy mind, with all of thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like unto the first, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Jesus took the entire volumes of the book. And he said, you want the short version? All of the pages, all of the volumes of the book, from Genesis to Revelation, he said, you want me to tell you the short version? You want the cliff notes? Love God first with all your heart, your spirit, with all your soul, your mind, will, and emotions, with all your strength, your body, spirit, soul, and body. Give it all to God. Because the truth of the matter is, much trauma has occurred because you put him before God. You put her before God. You thought they were your savior. You got it twisted. Jesus is the one. And if they can't change Jesus like you do, her heart should be so hitting God that you've got to chase God to find her. 
you ought to be getting tired from chasing after God, trying to keep up with each other. Not playing church. Oh, we go to church online. We watch it on television. Lies. The, the lies you tell. What about the fellowshipping with the brethren? That's why he said in Hebrews, he said, there, you, you've forsaken the assembly. You've allowed the times, the circumstances to give you excuses. Don't get me started down that road. And the problem becomes when you place people before God, you don't know it because it's subtle, but you made them an idol. My wife will never stop me from serving God. My wife will never keep me from tithing. My wife will never keep me from attending. I will never keep her from doing those things either. Why? I am not her Lord. Jesus is her Lord. I'm the head domestically in my house, but spiritually, Jesus is her Lord. I am not to instruct her to do anything against what God has called her to do. Why? Because the moment she derails me, I become an idol. The moment I derail her, and God is obligated to destroy all this because there will be no God before me. <laughs> and yet and still people wonder why things go wrong. They wonder why they found disappointment. It's, not, I've, 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 it's so bizarre. And there are people in this room who've been in this church long enough to see this happen. I am floored at how well a person could be doing spiritually. And they meet some girl or some girl meets some guy and they get yanked out. And they don't have enough sense to know it's a plan straight out of the pit of hell. Because they think there's an exception for them. Anybody here know what I'm talking about? Anybody here seen it? Raise your hand. Look at that. Well, I wish you'd stop talking about that, Pastor, because I don't want to hear it. Wounds. Trauma. And sunlight's the best antiseptic. Oh, you thought I meant sunlight like S-U-N. See, when you have a true love for God, when he's first, <clears throat> then everything else has to fall in line. That's why I said, I can sum this whole thing up for you. Put God first. Then he said, love people like you love yourself. But here's the problem. If you don't love yourself, you can't love people. <laughs> because when people move out of lack of their own self, they tend to supplement what they think they don't have. Not what it is they need. Listen to me. When they move out of that hurt and loss, they supplement what they think they want and not what they really need. Because remember when I told you, trauma creates eternal. So here you're trying to fill a void because you've got daddy issues. You're trying to fill a void because you've got mama issues. So now you expect your wife to be your mama. Now she got to raise you and the kids. I wish somebody would help me. Stop leaving me out here by myself. Now all of a sudden, because she's got daddy issues, she can't recognize the gift in you. 
because you just like her daddy. And the worst part is she chose you. <laughs> uh, if you listen, it'll help you. If you don't, it's on you. Revelations 2.4. You ready? Revelation 2.4. He said, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. In other words, I, I recognize your works. I see the things you're trying to do. He said, this is cool. I mean, you, you got a few good things going on. He said, but nevertheless, here's my problem with you. You left your first love. You left your first love. You know what left your first love? You wouldn't trust. So you let urgency and time and I'm tired of being alone. Y'all done pulled Al Green on him. I'm so tired of being alone. I'm so. You left your first love. Because if you'd have stayed with your first love, I'd have brought you your second one. That's why when he said, listen, lady, you've been with five husbands and the one you got. Oh, my God. That's why he's sitting there with her. He's like, look, you've had five husbands, lady, and the one you're living with ain't your husband. He said, but that's number six, man. He said, now you just met number seven. Number seven is the number of completion. He was letting her know, now that this man has showed up, I will give you water that you will never thirst again. I will supply you with something. You will never be hungry again. He said, I'm here as number seven, the fullness of completion, to let you know you will never lack if you follow me. He said, nevertheless, I have this against you. You left your first love. You forgot all about me. I'm your first love. You love after me. I'll bring the one that'll love you. But see, if you can't keep me first, <sighs> step number four, renewing your image. Psalms 139, verse 14. Psalms 139, verse 14. Many people struggle with the idea that messing up is not the same as being a mess up. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all made mistakes. We've all missed it. But that doesn't make you a mess up just because you messed. Because in Psalms 139 verse 14, he says, I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works and my soul knoweth right well. He said, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. God took his time when he put me together. And let me tell you something. This is one of those things. Men, ladies, all of you that are single, pay attention. You better know that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You better know that God took time to make you in his image. You better, Because this affects who you choose to be with. If you've got low self-esteem, that's why you will be with that struck match. Wondering, how did I get here? Because you didn't look at yourself and realize, I am wonderfully made, baby. I'm fearfully made. God made this thing. Quit looking at these magazines where people took four hours to airbrush this in and airbrush this out to make something of an image that you see. Now you're competing. That's why you keep slapping filters. Because the same, where do you think they got those filters from? The same filters they use. Them people don't look like that. 
But you forgot you were fearfully wanted. You forgot God. He said, I was, when you were in your mother's belly, I formed you. I made you. I made you in my image. You look just like me. You better get your self-esteem up to a place where you know who you are. That way there's no scrubs. People with high expectations don't have low expectation experiences. Ephesians 1.5. Hope somebody's getting some help. Ephesians 1.5. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved. I wish these young people would get this. I don't have to be accepted by you. I don't have to fit in your little crowd. I don't have to go along with your little club. I don't need to be felt to be accepted by you. I'm accepted in the beloved by God. By his grace, he made me accepted. By his power, he formed me. I don't need to be special because you say I'm special. I'm special because my God made me that way. I don't need to be in your little peer group so you can say that I'm special. You're a bunch of peasants. I'm a king's kid. I'm a king, baby. I'm a, I, listen, if he's the Lord of Lords, then I'm a Lord. I'm a queen. I don't have to get in your little crowd. Now, if you want to be like me, let's go follow Jesus. Pick up your cross and let's get it. Walking around trying to make me think I need you for me to feel better. I don't need you. What I need is the Lord. Who, 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 having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. I may not have had a daddy, but I got adopted by a good one. I may not have had a mom. My mama might have been something, but I got adopted by a daddy who loves me and made up the difference. I have been adopted by him. See, it's different when you have your own born child. You don't get to choose that one. But if you adopted a child, you chose that child. You made a decision for that child. The child didn't choose you. You chose it. I've been chosen. And he said, I've been accepted in the beloved. <laughs> with all of my idiosyncrasies, with all of my weaknesses, with all of my struggles, he accepted me. With everything I had to go through, he still accepted me. With all that I am, he still accepted me. He knows the beginning from the end, he still accepted me. He knew I was going to mess up when I wasn't sure that I was going to mess up. But he accepted me anyway. The fifth thing you have to do... <laughs> The fifth thing you got to do, Romans 14, 17. You got to regain your hope. You got to regain your hope. See, the thing about hope is it's an image, and it's the image is a reflection of your perspective. And as a reflection of your perspective, you've got to deal with your emotions. Because in dealing with your emotions, your emotions changes your perspective. This is why one of the things, my wife and I, we, 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 we don't make decisions when we're mad. We're like, baby, we just got to go to sleep and wake up tomorrow. Because yeah. if we deal with it now, I'm smacked. 
We deal with it now. We fingers just typing. You. And then just, you know, deletes. <laughs> you go to say something, the Lord just constrain you. Eh, don't, don't you do it. Go to sleep. Wake up tomorrow. We'll feel different. We still mad. We still want to choke somebody. You know what stress is? Stress is when the mind overrides the body's desire to choke the crap out of somebody who desperately needs it. <laughs> I'm not, hey, listen, I'm not exempt. Quit looking at me like that. Your halos ain't that straight. So when I have to, I, <laughs> I have to address. Thank you, sister. So what I have to, what I got to do is I got to adjust myself. How do I do that? For the kingdom of God is not meat or drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. See, listen, if, if everything I go through changes my joy and my peace, then you got to wonder if the Holy Ghost is working on the inside. I'm not, I'm not here to judge your Christianity because I cannot. I am not in a position. God did not grant me that authority, although some of you think he gave you that authority, but <laughs> he didn't. But I can certainly tell you when I can see the fruit. Yes. Because when you're going through all hell yes, and you still got your joy, when you're going through all hell and you still got your peace, Jesus said, my peace I give unto you. Yes. Not like the world give it. I don't need the world to agree with it. I can have peace on the inside. Going through all types of stuff on the outside. But on the inside, the storm is calm. People wonder, don't you see what's going on? Yeah. How'd you make it? Because the Lord. If it had not been for the Lord and all that he'd done for me, I get so excited. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's what it is. And when you begin to understand it, it's not natural things. It's not meat and drink. It's not whether I have, don't have. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 31. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 31. Lord, the time just flies, don't it? Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Notice that bitterness and wrath can cause you not to be tenderhearted. You ever meet somebody who is in the older stages of life and they just are so bitter and angry? Life has just dealt them blow after blow after blow after blow. And they never stop and think to themselves that this would have killed a lesser person. So there must be something God's trying to do in you. And that the fact that you came through all of this means that the grace of God has preserved you unto this day. Because when I woke up this morning, there were many people who didn't wake up this morning. There are many of folks who can't even get up even though they woke up. Glory to God. I'm talking about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. He said, put all these things away from you so that you could be tenderhearted and not moved by the frustrations. Life comes at you fast. Nobody was guaranteed a perfect life. Many are the afflictions of righteousness. But my Bible says, my God shall deliver me out of them all. <laughs> 
And so, Proverbs 13, verse 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when it comes, it's a tree of life. Hope deferred. You know, when you, you, you've been believing for something, waiting for something, expecting something, you're wanting it, wanting it, wanting it, and it just doesn't show up. He said it makes the heart sick. But when it shows up, <laughs> all of a sudden you just forget all about the trouble. It's like God said about, about the pangs of birth. So when a woman goes through uh, a child rearing, she goes through a certain amount of turmoil. When she delivers, there's certain pains. But when the child has come, she forgets all about that. <laughs> He's so cute. <laughs> I think she's talking about you, brother. <laughs> He's not that cute, so I'm not sure he's talking about him. I think he's talking about you. <laughs> Just teasing. <laughs> rule, rule number one, ne never irritate your security. <laughs> Listen, y'all, hope deferred makes the heart sick. When, it, when it's not coming, not seem like it's working, you got to be careful because your perspective can get off. Because that's what it's designed to do. It's to steal your joy. Steal your perspective. And to get you to a place where you lose your hope. That's why uh, Luke 21 verse 19. says, in your patience, possess your souls. In your patience. Listen, it would be unfair for God to tell you to do something you can't do. He's telling you possess your souls. Your mind will and emotions possess it. To, to keep your mind under check. To know that you have not been given the spirit of fear. But the love, power, and a sound mind. So you to possess your soul, to keep it under guard, keep it under check, keep it, don't let it go too far, don't let it think too far, don't let it worry too far. The Bible says that people who worry are like people without a God. Glory. Keep your perspective straight in all situations. And then the last thing is to seek your freedom. Isaiah 53 verse 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. In other words, we turned our own ways. We do our own things. You know how it is. People go through struggles and all of a sudden you go your own way. Forget where everybody else is going. Forget what everybody else is trying to tell you. I just do my own thing. Remember little Sesame Street song? One of these kids is doing his own thing. One of these kids. Yeah. You're doing your own thing. And you, and you think that's freedom and it's not. The Bible says whom the Son sets free is free indeed. See, when you've got the liberty that God affords you, that Jesus only in himself and in the person and nature of who he is by the proliferation of the Holy Ghost and his residency on the inside of you, now all of a sudden you experience a freedom that you have never felt before. Because when you're free, you can do things you've never done before. All the things that you stop short of because of the trauma. All the things you... Yeah can't bring myself to that I, I can't I can't take a chance on this and, and you sit there and you tell yourself things I, you know I, I could be single for the rest of my life I don't I don't need a man I don't need a woman I I'm, I'm but you long in the depths and recesses of your heart because you're not free and you're afraid because she hurt me so bad I don't know that I want to take a chance anymore so I treat every woman I come across like a notch in my belt because at least I can control the relationship out of my trauma.
Every guy. Every guy's a dog. Can I tell you something? Only female dogs think every man's a dog. Because every man is not a dog. Every dog is a dog. And just because you keep dressing like a fire hydrant. Put the story together. This is elephant in the bedroom. And if you didn't know, now you know. Every man's not a dog. There are plenty of good men that would love you and, and, and respect you and, and take care of his family and love his family. There are plenty of them. You don't want them because they too. So go keep trying to build your house with your round. Wonder why they keep rolling. Next time she's here, put her in the front. I need her close. I need her close. She helps me. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's amazing how many people don't understand that your trauma affects you deeper than you think. It limits your decisions. It limits your movement. It's a cage of your own building. And then you wonder why there are limits on your life. <clears throat> I remember years ago, I'm going to pick on myself for just a second, so none of y'all get mad. <laughs> I remember years ago, <clears throat> I, had, I had been in the business of uh, flipping houses, and I was doing very well. And when I say well, I mean very, very, very well. I had one house that didn't go as planned. And see, I've had situations that didn't go as planned before, but it was my money, so I didn't care. But in this particular deal, I had other people's money with mine. It scarred me bad because it was a failure. And I, from that point, had decided I was never going to really... Now, I haven't told this story, so I don't, nobody knows this particular story but my wife. I had made this decision I was not going to do any level of business ever again. And I struggled. Financially, we started the church. There was just a struggle. And I really never thought the two could go together. It was a lie straight out of the pit of hell. Eventually, I recovered from that trauma. And my life has never been the same. But there was a fear that I had of ever doing business again. And it was so deep that I, I, I lived in abject poverty. See, some of you people see the glory. You have no idea the story. You don't know when I had to eat ramen noodles, which don't digest. <laughs> when I had to clear out my home of furniture and things that I needed and have yard sales every week to make things happen. You have no clue. When I just had a couple suits. 
that I would, I would wear and wear and wear until the material started to bubble. And so what I would do is I would, I would starch it and press it so that it would stay long enough to get through a service. Because I was afraid the business and this, it, it, it just, you know, you, you're a preacher. You could never be a businessman ever again. Trauma. See, and then, and then here's what happened. I, I got set free from it. My spiritual father came and he said, look, what are you talking about? He said, look at all these businesses we have, the things we're doing. And so I said, well, I got to see it. So I jumped on a plane and flew two hours to get there. And I said, I just want to see it. I want to see the cement plant. I want to see the hotel you own. I want to see this. I want to get my eyes on. I want to get a different image and know that this is possible. I, all, I, all you got to do is show it to me. And then all the things started coming back to me that God was teaching me and showing me all the problems and struggles that I went through, that God took me through. He showed it to me in a moment of time and said, don't you think that I won't take care of you? Don't you think that if you gave me your life that I won't provide? And everything has been different since. <laughs> See, what I want you to understand is no one's exempt from trauma. But you can change how it affects your future. Every one of you in here right now, I just want you to put your hand right on your stomach. All of you sitting at home watching via the live stream, I just want you to put your hand right on your stomach. There's no distance in the realm of the spirit. And I want you to just pray with me. You can pray in your own prayer language. You can just pray silent to yourself. But I'm going to speak some things over every one of you into the sound of my voice. Father God, I thank you for all these people that are in this room that are joining us via live stream right now. There was no mistake that they are here with us right now. There's no mistake that they're watching via uh, the internet right now. Father, I thank you for their lives. And I thank you for the purpose that you've called them unto, Father. I thank you right now that you stir up these things in their spirit so that they know there is a truth for them that surpasses all of their understanding, that there's a greatness on the inside of them. The greater are you that are in them than he that is in the world. Your word says that whom you set free shall in fact be free. That they'll be able to do things they've never done before. To step out in ways they've never been able to step out before. That healing shall come. Wounds shall be healed. Trauma shall be dealt with. That they are able to press towards the mark of the high calling of God. Forgetting those things which are behind. And reaching forward. <laughs> even where you sit. God is working. Even where you stand, God is working. In this building, the Holy Ghost is working. In your homes, the Holy Ghost is working. Bring that righteousness, that peace, and that joy. <laughs> we thank you for it. Right now. In Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen.